You're listening to Scaling Up Services, where we speak with entrepreneurs, authors, business experts, and thought leaders to give you the knowledge and insights you need to scale your service-based business faster and easier. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeld. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Scaling Up Services. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Dr. Pillay. He is a best-selling author. He is the host of the Big Ticket Life podcast. He's also a musician. He's a coach. We're going to find out a little bit more about his story and his background. And we're going to talk about big tickets, how to sell big ticket clients, how to sell big ticket services, the ins and outs of that. We're going to talk about how to do that online. We're going to talk about how to really drive a business that is focused on the big fish, the big whales, not the little ones, but the big ones. With that, Dr. Pillay, welcome to the program. Thanks for being on. Hey, thanks, Bruce. I appreciate the invitation to join you. So why don't we start with learning a little bit more about you, and then we can get into the podcast. We can get into the work that you do. We can talk about big ticket clients. How did you get into this? What was your background? Give us a little bit of the story. Well, hey, I appreciate that question. It takes me way back. Um, I'm wondering how far back I should go here. Uh, <laughs> as far back see. as you I need to. I was born in... No, I'm just kidding. Actually, you know, I feel as though I'm really lucky to be here in the United States for so many reasons. You know, the biggest one being that I was born in a war-torn African refugee camp. Yeah. I was basically, uh, you know, a war baby. Uh, and, uh, you know, this goes way back in the late 60s in Nigeria, mm-hmm. you know, where, where there was a, a civil war. And, um, you know, being born into war is, is something that I'm, I'm sure not too many people yeah. feel. Well, hopefully not. <laughs> yeah, I feel, but millions yeah. of people were dying. Millions of people were starving. And uh, there I was. My father went to the United States and my mother was left alone with me. And, you know, the, the thing that happened for me and reason why I'm going way back to that beginning is mm-hmm. that, you know, as the bombs were falling and as people were dying and people were you know, crying of hunger and so on and so forth. My mom came up with this, I think, ingenious thing, which is she would sing to me and tell me stories. So in the absence of food yeah. <laughs> and basic necessity and, and with all the fear around, the music and the storytelling had a way of sort of getting into my mind and my heart, my little mind and heart, and and taking away the hunger and all the physical problems that we were going through. And so I think at a very early age, storytelling and you know the use of music and storytelling became kind of my my thing, if you will. For anyone who sort of believes in the fact that we have a soul that is outside of our bodies, well, yeah. my soul has been telling me all my life that I've got to do music and storytelling somehow. And I've been struggling ever since to catch up. And that's why today I'm a podcast guy. Today I'm a musician. And I'm applying both of those things to the world of business. So that's really kind of what got me here and uh, into the format that I'm in right now. Fascinating. And I love the personal connection. I mean, I think that, you know, so many, you know, successful people are inspired at some level. You know, it's more than just making a dollar. It's more than just, you know, making a sale. It's it's connected to some kind of purpose. And, you know, obviously yours was 
was kind of born out of tragedy and, you know, war and conflict, which, you know, highly unfortunate, but I think it's impressive you've been able to find, you know, some kind of guiding light uh, within that experience. Um, yeah. So you came to the United States and began your career there. I mean, what are what are some of the things in your background? Connect the dots for us a little bit in terms of how you've gotten to be a, an author and a podcast host. What are some of the things that you've done along the way? Yeah, that, you know, it's been a very circuitous journey, I will tell <laughs> they you They usually that. are. <laughs> and, you know, the one thing that I, I find really fascinating, even to me, about my my story of, quote, becoming is just how many things I've tried and failed. <laughs> oh, wow. Yeah. You know, it's, it's how many things I was really, really talented at doing. And then once I crossed over from the talent to the application of it in business or in life, I completely yeah. failed. Like I was the, I was always the smartest kid. I was a very, very good yep. fine artist. I, I could paint, I could draw. Mm-hmm. I was a, a musician. I mean, all these talents were everywhere. So when I came to the US, I went and did architecture, right? I got my degree in architecture and subsequently decided not to be an architect. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I went from there to, uh, you know, to, to music. And because I couldn't make any money as a musician and a music producer, even though I had achieved some pretty cool things, mm-hmm. I quit that too and went into the software business. In the software industry, I you know, I was like a director of marketing, technical marketing in yep. big software companies. Failed at that too because at some point I quit because I was either afraid of being fired or just something wasn't right. I mean, it was just failure after failure. And mm-hmm. from there, I went to um, you know get my PhD. I, I went back to school. I wanted to capitalize on all this education that I was apparently so good at. But after getting the PhD you know, and trying to make it again in the corporate world, you know, vice president of HR, all these different titles, I failed. I literally was failing at every step once I tried to apply talent to the reality of getting along with people, turning that into money and so on and so forth. So I think that's been the most fascinating thing for me. But throughout my life, for some reason, I've always stuck to a few things that I've always done. Like I've always written songs. I have very well produced music just all over. You know, my house is full of musical instruments. I've always written books. I've written five books to date. Um, yeah. All of them very well researched, <laughs> not mm-hmm. sold, but <laughs> very well researched oh and God. pretty well written. Yeah. Um, so, you know, putting the dots together, I'd say that what got me here is that I finally realized that all those things that, that I had been doing, that I sort of kept doing regardless of the other failures around me, those things were sort of my signposts, my little, mm-hmm. my education from my future self about yeah. who I really am. So today, I'm a guy who's decided to surrender to being a musician in the corporate space who is applying music, storytelling, speaking, and teaching and coaching to help other people in the corporate space become the best that they can be. I know it's very long and vague, but that's the purpose of the Big Ticket Life podcast. It's the reason why my books contain my music. It's just all about turning these talents, these gifts into something that can help others. That's really been my lifelong journey. Yeah. Well, and I think it, 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 tells a story of to really do or to really have impact in the world, you have to kind of bring everything, everything you love, everything you're passionate, everything you're good at to bear to make it work, right? If you if you just focus on one part of who you are and try to exploit that, you only get so far. And it's only when you bring it all together, do you have that that kind of that true integrated self to tackle the problems you're trying to tackle. So I, I think it makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. The only problem is who decides which parts to keep and which parts to get rid of. <laughs> 
<laughs> and when, and you know, well, all those yeah. things are mysteries to us, you know, but yeah. somehow, you know, if you have the right signposts in your life, uh, you know, the, the time when you were brilliant at this or the time when you failed at that, all those things somehow help you to say, you know what, this is what I better do. And this is what I better not do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So tell us about the big ticket life. What is, what is the intention there? And I know that that's been a bit of a journey in, in developing that podcast. How has that evolved? What are you focused on now with the podcast? Where, where are you kind of driving that? And, and what's that intention? Well, my latest book, my fifth book, is called Big Ticket Clients. You can't catch a whale with a worm. And I like it. For, <laughs> yeah, I know it's kind of a, a long title there, but you know, you know, the the whole idea of big ticket clients was if you wanted to go after you know the bigger companies, the 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 longer engagements where people pay more money as a consultant or a coach or an entrepreneur of some kind in the online space, you really cannot get those kinds of clients if you use what I call small ticket marketing and sales strategies. Okay. You have to use relationship-based marketing and sales strategies that are focused on the big picture and the human connection. So I wrote that book with every intention of just really marketing the heck out of it. And the, at the tail end of the book, one of the solutions that I sort of um, explain as to how you actually can make those big ticket clients come to you or, you know, sign up with you is podcasting. You know, of all mm -hmm. the content marketing methods that are out there, it's the most exciting, it's the most fun, it's the most engaging, and it's the one way that you can have a one-to-one -one connection with someone, a human connection with someone in real time, and then take that recording, if you will, and spread it to thousands of people through content over time. So I really stress that that's one idea for getting big ticket clients in the book. Yeah. However, after the book was written and I, I've done like, you know, 70 some podcasts and, you know, I was burning out and feeling this need to do my music again. Uh -huh. <laughs> I decided to rebrand Big Ticket Clients, the podcast, into Big Ticket Life so that it's like one step above just making money, one step above just clients. Um, and the reason for life is because now I can include my, my motivational speaking in the corporate space, which I love to do um, with music and, you know, all the different other offerings like training that I offer that are not necessarily focused on acquiring big ticket clients. And so I raised it, the podcast title and focus to life. Now I invite not only great business people, I also invite people who are just excellent at, at picking what I call a big ticket life. Mm -hmm. So what's a big ticket life? Well, some might call it your very best life. Your, if you're into spirituality, it would be the life in which your personality is more aligned with your soul. I feel that I'm finally aligned with my soul. I feel that my yeah. soul depends on music and it depends on on communication through singing and song and and teaching and helping other people and making money is just not the core talent of my soul. And so now I'm connected. I really feel energized by what I'm doing and that's why I'm focused on big ticket life. Yeah, I like it. I, I think, you know, I spend a lot of time with CEOs, their leadership teams on you know strategy and how they're going to compete in the market and differentiators and pricing and you know operational efficiencies and all this stuff and I and there's a there's a, a step in the process which is uh, you know we talk about I talk about foundations and I talk about your purpose and your values and your BHAG your sort of biggest goal but I always find this this discussion around purpose as being a little I don't want to call it difficult it's hard sometimes in a corporate setting to really get into that and I find that 
teams that have that really dialed in, have really figured out a, a CEO, a founder, and their team who has really figured out what their purpose is and what that really means to them above and beyond the company, you know, have just a, a reserve of energy, of power, of dedication, of discipline that's going to help them be much more successful than other teams. And I and the teams, you know, we always get to some definition of purpose, but you know, regardless of what we write on the wall or what we, you know we put onto the uh, you know what we what we you know put onto the sticky. You know I can really tell a difference for those that people that are connected and those that haven't. I mean, I, tell me about what what have you noticed in the conversations that you've been having around folks that really have you know kind of dialed in this big ticket life. What is it that they've done to you know get that energy to get to get to that level? Do you notice any kind of similarities, commonalities between them? Absolutely. I've had now I think three podcast episodes since I changed the brand and started inviting you know different guests. One of them was Stephen Wessler, who is very well known in the podcast space. Another guy, Joe Serio, and um, another gentleman name is <laughs> slipping off my head now. Uh, but but anyway, all three of these guys actually gave me a sense that th- their lives were sort of you know routine and mundane until they landed upon a discovery that helped them overcome some some kind of fear, right? Some kind of fear they they overcame that fear and were able to to sort of be unleashed into what they should be doing, or if you want to call it their purpose. Not all of them use the word purpose, but it was sort of, oh, this is what I'm supposed to do. This is what I've been afraid to do. And I've jumped into it now. And I guess it's not that scary. I'm doing it. I'm succeeding. You know, I remember Joe Serio, uh, he's a guitar, uh, he's a musician and a speaker. Mm-hmm. And he actually, believe it or not, speaks to uh, crime units, you know, police officers and, and, you know, that kind of thing. You know, the the people who call, gosh, you know, those people who are on the phone, uh, the 911 callers. Call oh, centers? yeah, the emergency yeah. response teams. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah he, he makes, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a year speaking, you know, speaking gigs and training gigs to uh-huh. those particular people. And if you look at his history, he studied, he has a PhD in criminology. He lived in Russia and was like, <laughs> not that Russia is a bad place, but he said he was <laughs> deeply involved in learning about all the mafia stuff. Oh, and, sure. you, know, you know, so like he, he had all these signposts in his life, but he was deathly afraid of speaking to anyone or, you know, doing the kind of motivational type of stuff that is now working for him. And it was when he just jumped into it and told everybody, hey, I'm a speaker. He used the words speaker. <laughs> yeah. All of a sudden, the business started coming to him. The Just everything became successful. And now he tells himself every morning, I am a speaker, you know, and I'm not anything else. I'm not trying to be a coach. I'm not trying to be, you know, all the different yeah. th- consultant. I am a speaker. And that that when he found his purpose as a guy who speaks on one topic, everything just worked. And I've been seeing that in other people, you know, before, but these three episodes kind of showed me that consistency and that pattern. Yeah. Well, it's interesting that there's this kind of, uh, it, it's going through the resistance or finding the resistance and pushing through the resistance and getting to the other side, which is kind of the the learning or, or where you find that next stage. And I think that is so true in terms of you know, the fear or the thing that someone does not want to do or is hesitant to do is oftentimes the thing they need to do to be able to get to the next level. I'm wondering, I mean, is, is that something you've seen in, in the work that you've done? Yeah. You know, it's funny because um, I think it was actually Joe. He said that his topic, his main topic is fear and overcoming it. And I was like, gosh, darn it. That's a great topic. I wish I thought of that first. <laughs> you know, because it really, it's probably the number one thing that people have to overcome. I mean, I read somewhere that there are really two forces in our lives. One is fear and one is love. 
And we have choice over these two emotions. And of course, there are degrees on both sides. So I think, you know, what's happened with, with myself and people like Joe is that we're lucky enough to be able to look at our fears, stare them down and choose a different path or choose the path of love and higher frequency energies, if you will. Mm -hmm. But yes, I totally agree with what you said, which is there's always this obstacle. I wonder if those those obstacles are given to us as a gift. In case you think I'm sounding a little bit woo-woo, I am. <laughs> you are. <laughs> okay. I totally am. I really believe that 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 these things, these fears, they come into our lives for a reason. They're here to to kind of help us survive. I mean, if you look at a baby trying to walk, yeah. it falls down for a reason. It falls because it has to learn how not to fall. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm really grateful for all the fears and all the all the all the trials and tribulations that I've faced and that we all face, I think, because it it gets your it just gets you stronger for the path ahead. Yeah. yeah. So for people listening to this that are CEOs, founders, you know, executives inside these companies that are looking to grow and and you know kind of scale the business, get to that next level, um, facing these kind of challenges, what have you noticed around the things they need to do differently? I mean, you mentioned the, you can't catch a whale with a worm. What are the things that you need to kind of rethink about, you know, whether it's the business, whether it's your leadership, whether it's, you know, even just your thinking, your mindset to be able to get to that next level, not only personally, but in the business? Yeah, no, no, that that's a great, great uh it's a very big question, but it's a really important question. So the first thing I, I want to say, thanks for the question. The first thing I'd want to say is CEOs, founders, and millionaires, billionaires all have one thing in common. They are people, okay? They wake up every day. Some of them scared. <laughs> Some of them don't even want to wake up just yeah. like the rest of us, okay? So at the core, because they're people, they have to recognize that the tools of all people, regardless of how big they are or how much money they're making or how far they intend to scale or can scale, whether you're at the top of Apple or you're at the top of the, the grocery store down the street, the number one thing you have to be concerned about is people. How do you handle the people that work with you? Mm -hmm. How do you handle the people that you meet who are going to be customers for you? How do you handle your referral partners? How do you handle people, right? How do people feel around you? As Maya Angelou once said, people don't really care what you do or say. They care how you make them feel, mm, right? Yeah. You know, how do you handle people? How do people feel about you? I mean, look, I have, th this has been a central struggle for me all my life is making sure that I'm sensitive to how other people are feeling. You know, do I show up with my guitar and just yow, shred in front of somebody <laughs> who's been struggling for, for years and can't even play two notes just to prove I'm better? How am I going to make them feel? Yeah. You know, so people, they've got to be great at people skills. Forget the fact that it's a soft skill. People are everything. That's that's the number one thing. Yeah. The second thing I would say regarding how to scale a business, sort of the external component is, again, remember that it's relationships between your company, your business, and the outside world, whether it's relationships through partnerships. A lot of people forget that your second most powerful way to make money is referrals. <laughs> Yeah. The number one way to make money is for a client to say, I want more or I or, you know, yeah. I, I want you now or I want more of what you gave me yesterday. That's just the the best way to make money is repeat business. And the second best way is referral business. The hardest way to make money is the new client. Yeah. Okay? So 
within this, you know, it, those two first things are about relationships. Again, how are you treating your, your referral partners? How are they looking at you and feeling? What's the, what are the parameters that make things happen? What, the possibilities? How available are you? How are you treating your customers? You know, a lot of people think that clients are basically getting clients is the most important thing and they don't work as hard at the game and the dance of keeping clients. Oh my gosh, yes. You, you know, the idea that keeping a client runs the gamut from being nice to being tough, to being a leader yeah. <laughs> with yeah. clients, right? Like leadership development for client interaction is like a thing. Yeah. <laughs> but not everybody focuses on that because it's like, hey, we got the client, shut the door, and somehow they'll be handled on the inside. So relationships with your external business landscape, huge. Figure out what your vision is, how that vision you know, help people interface with that point of view, how available you are, all those things that have to do with your relationships with, with clients and so on. And then the last thing I would say is, as you said, Bruce, leadership. The only thing I would say regarding leadership is that it's a very crowded field. Everybody talks about, you know, leadership definitions and they mm -hmm. talk about charisma and a lot of things. And I, all those things are valid. I would suggest, though, that the, the strongest leadership thing that needs to be worked on is mindset. You know, what is the mindset of a leader? Because that determines thoughts, it determines actions, and then interactions with other people. And then you could just, you know, roll the dice and, and, and you just get, <laughs> yeah. you just get the domino effect from there. But it's all about who does this leader really think she is? You know, what's her mindset? Mm -hmm. When she wakes up and shows up at work, what is she bringing with her? And it, it's it's your energy, whatever you want to call it. It's important that it's positive and that it's motivational for other people and so on and so on and so forth. Have you seen anything, you know, techniques, strategies for developing a more effective mindset, a better mindset, or or be, even being able to just to evaluate what your mindset is and, and how, how do you actually work on mindset? What are some things that you've seen some of these successful folks do to get to where they are in terms of mindset? Yeah, no, that's that's a really important question because, you know, we all sort of stop at the at the doorstep of theory. And yeah, exactly. Like, okay, well, <laughs> okay <laughs> well, how, how do, do we do it? <laughs> how do you move this thing forward? I'm sorry if I sound a little bit of woo-woo again. <laughs> that's fine. Go for it. But I would love to start by thinking about, you know, the mindfulness of a person, okay? Yeah. the Their ability to review their own thoughts and review their own actions sort of as an observer. A lot of people sort of just live, they sort of go through the day, but there are people who've developed, and this could be through, you know, mindful exercises or meditation or mm -hmm. praying or whatever you want to call it. But some people have developed a way of really being able to just step outside of themselves and watch their own behavior, their own thoughts, the things they've done in real time and assess them and, and make corrections like in real time. That's like a skill. You know, I'll give you an example of, of one way to be mindful that is very inefficient, but makes, makes the larger point. Mm -hmm. Just a couple of days ago, I was watching some of the videos that I had put out into the world a year ago. You know, you know how, you know, everybody does these one minute videos or yep. five minute videos or whatever. I had one of those videos where I was walking through my neighborhood and talking about the world and my, my life and everything. And, you know, I sat there in, in shock, listening to myself, literally teach myself of today what I should be doing, telling myself all the wrong things that I've I've done now and how to correct them. It, it was like I was predicting, yeah. you know, I was teaching myself. I mean, I don't know if you ever get a chance to look at your own videos of advice <laughs> and realize, wait a second, I was actually advising myself of today. <laughs> 
<laughs> I've had that, that happen. It's very eerie. Yeah. It's like, how much have I, how many, you mean I didn't implement this stuff I'm teaching everyone else? What, what's going on here? But the point of that is, I mean, and I say it's very inefficient because, you know, I'm only, I've got the benefit of one year yeah. of, of hindsight. But if you can, in real time, step outside yourself and sort of advise yourself, see yourself, hear yourself speak and start to correct the mistakes, just like any form of practice, you will get better at mindset. Because mindset governs everything, the way we react with interpersonal dynamics, focus at work, you know, diligence, mm-hmm. performance. I mean, it's it's all over the map. You know, like, look, if you want to get better at anything, you've got to have a performance and growth mindset. Yeah. So how do you cultivate that if you can't step outside of yourself and observe and fix problems? There's no way to do it. Yeah. So that whole observer persona for me is like the number one skill of mindset. I, you know, the ability to just observe yourself and accurately see and correct what's going on. Yeah, no, it's a great one. I, there was um, listening to some uh, stuff on, uh, you know, how the mind works and, and research they were doing around action and thinking. And and we have this model of we think about something, then we do it. And it turns out when they really look at the sort of the timing of sequences and the firing of neurons and things like that, we actually start acting before we think about it. And think about think about what we're doing. Think about taking action before we take or after we actually take the action, which implies that our decisions are not nearly as conscious as we think they are. <laughs> and it, and it comes ab- much ab- more it, from underlying kind of beliefs and, and and all this mindset stuff that actually causes our actions before we even think about it. That so much of what we do is not actually conscious thought. It is it, it's about these underlying things. And if we don't if we don't have the right mindset going into it, we won't that whole system will will just not get us where we want to be. Absolutely. I mean I can't tell you how, you know, ever since I started working on my mindset, how happy I am after having waited two days to not respond to that text that pissed me off, Mm -hmm. okay? (laughs) And realizing Mm -hmm. that that two days of waiting and and not taking action was the one thing that saved my whole whatever. You know what I mean? So yeah, you're right. You know, being able to think clearly, I I know it sounds so cliche, but gosh, it's not common. It's not easy to do. Yeah. You know, I know you do a lot of work with folks online and using various kind of digital technologies and stuff to develop business, develop relationships. Tell me a little bit about some of the stuff you've learned, uh, both in the work that you've done, the clients you've worked with. Mention that relationship is the number one thing, your relationship with people. Um, and certainly with service-based businesses, that is the crux of it, right? Is how, how do we how do we build and scale a, a company that is fundamentally about these relationships? You know, in this kind of modern age of digital technologies and video and, uh, you know, everything mediated through computers and things like that, what are some of the strategies or what are the, some of the lessons learned or, or insights you've developed in building businesses that have, you know, have this virtual component or this, um, you know, using the computer or online communication. Yeah, no, no, that's a that's a great point. I would say that the number one digital revelation, if you will, that <laughs> yeah. that I've had <laughs> is in the word funnel. Okay, uh-huh. everything is a funnel when it comes to acquiring clients online or keeping clients online. If you can think in terms of a funnel, meaning a series of stages and gates that are not necessarily physical, but they're behavioral and they're psychological. Okay, if you can think of of everything as a story that is being told and a, a set of sort of funnel gates that people have to cross through to get to the end of that story. That's the the framework that really allows you to have a handle on your digital success. So what do I mean by that? What, yeah, what are the give details? Me an example. Okay. Yeah. So for example, in my book, 
uh, big ticket clients. I talk about the idea of a big ticket story. Now, it just so happens that I'm spelling out the word S-T-O-R-Y as my funnel because okay. it just it just kind of works. It's cheesy, but it's fun. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so those S-T-O-R-Y represent the funnel phases and gates, the stages and gates that a typical client has to go through to become your client, become successful at what you're doing for them, and then refer you to others, right? It's the Good, whole life yeah. cycle of that yeah. client. So the first stage is they are a stranger to you. And so as a stranger, S, they need to be treated in the way a stranger would be appropriately treated. So for example, you wouldn't walk up to a stranger and say, hey there, uh, I kind of like you, let's get married. You know, that's... <laughs> That's like not going to work yeah. for most people, okay? Yeah. So you treat a stranger. And, and if it does work, that's that's a different issue. <laughs> yeah, that, that's a different problem, yeah, that you're, or, or whatever. Yeah. So, you know, so how would you approach a stranger? We all want business. We all want to ex- expand and scale. And how do you approach a stranger? Well, if you think through it, how about approaching a stranger with reciprocity, right? By saying to them something like, hey, I have this thing. It's completely free. If you want it, have it. And you ask for absolutely nothing in return. Most people will take that bait, if you will, because mm-hmm. there's it's very low risk. And, you know, as a stranger, hey, if you're offering this thing for free and it's a great thing, whoo, I'll take it. And what's an example of a free thing that could allow you to indirectly build relationships with a stranger? Podcasting. Mm-hmm. Okay. So that's a great place to start. That's a, a digital technology like podcasting would fit inside the, the stranger phase because it works with the psychology of strangers and it helps you move from strangers to the next phase. Now, what's the next phase? Trust. T. In the trust phase, you've got to build up. You know how people say people got to have to know you, then like you, and then trust you before they'll buy from you? Yeah, that's where you build that stuff up, right? So how do you build trust? Well, if you think about it, again, remember, these people have all been strangers and now you've sort of brought them into your funnel, maybe through a podcast or through something else, but they're now, they're aware of you. They're receiving your emails or something. How do you build trust? The number one way to build trust is to spread your content that makes them look like experts or the people that you're interacting with. Make them look like experts and indirectly, you'll look like an expert. You'll be an authority. You'll be a center of influence because they're seeing your content everywhere. And what happens is people see your content and they go from, hey, I know what he says, but now I know what he does. It's like actions speak louder than words. All of a sudden they're like, I trust this guy, right? Because I can see his actions all over the place. He's on LinkedIn, he's talking, he's on Facebook. I see him. And before you know it, they are now primed for the next phase, which is the offer. So now you have the stranger, the S, the T for trust, and now the O for offer. The offer phase is the traditional sales presentation. You got to be great at selling or, or explaining what it is you offer in a way that doesn't seem like you're selling. So the counterintuitive thing in the offer phase is how can you sell without selling? Right. Mm, Um, And there's there's all there's a whole (laughs) philosophy around that that kind of thing. But if you can get people past the offer phase and they say, yes, I want to be your client. Boom. Now you're in the results phase, which is the R. And the results phase is where, number one, not only do you have to develop results that are positive, but you have to turn that client into a referral partner. That's very important. The client becomes not just someone to serve, but also someone who will tell your story for you, okay? And if you can successfully do that through the success you deliver, the the testimonials you ask for, whatever, then you move them into the last phase, which is why, which stands for you. Because now they become advocates. They go out into the world and tell the story of you. 
that's the life cycle of a true, you know, client acquisition process. You know, I think it was Peter Drucker who said the purpose of business is to acquire a client or, or get a customer or something like that. I would say the purpose of business is to get a customer, keep a customer, and then make that customer refer you to other customers. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, it's funny. I find so many, um, you know, so many businesses that, you know, I'll have them, you know, map out their kind of sales process or their customer life cycle or their customer journey. And they all... They all end it with, okay, contract signed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm kind of like, wait, you're missing two big steps. You're missing deliver value. Like you're, yeah, exactly. you're missing the delivery process and then you're missing the referral process, right? I mean, the, our goal is to make these, you know, make these people you're working with, you know, advocates for you to get more business. You know, you want yep. them out there promoting. That's exactly the case. People stop at the O. S, strangers, trust, and then offer. After the offer, they get the client and they're done. Yeah. They, they don't work as hard on the leadership skills required in the results phase. They don't work as, as hard at getting that, that referral in the U phase. And that's the key to getting a really good customer cycle going yeah. So we're going to hit time here. If people want to find out more information about you, about the Big Ticket Life podcast, what's the best way to get that information? Best way is to go to my website, which is drpele.com, D-R-P-E-L-E.com. Alternatively, I'm on LinkedIn. I think it's, well, whatever it is, Dr. Pillay, you'll find <laughs> I'll it. I'll put it in the link. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, so they yeah, it. yeah. But yeah, no, no, the website's the best thing. And I, I would say, hey, if anyone's interested in bringing me in as a speaker, just to share, uh, you know, share some of this yeah, stuff and absolutely. help people, I'm open for that. I love that. I would encourage everyone to go check it out. Um, website's great. Podcast is great. Uh, I've been a guest on the podcast, so I'll plug that one. Um, uh, it really, uh, thank you so much for taking the time today. Good conversation. Um, I think it's really helpful for these folks to to really dig into that purpose, understand how they're going to connect with the sort of that bigger picture and how to get that big ticket life going. So thanks for taking the time today. Thanks, Bruce. It's been amazing talking with you. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Scaling Up Services with business coach Bruce Eckfeldt. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets, and access other great content, visit the website at scalingupservices.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at scalingupservices.com slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.